Hey everyone, it's um, such a privilege for me to be joining with you today because you guys at Soul Survivor, you're like family to me. Um, some of you are my actual family, legally related, but um, you guys are like family to me. I was with you age 19 for the best part of a decade and they were such fun and formative years. I loved it, so it's so great to join you. And today I'd love to speak about how to find hope, hope that changes everything. And with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, we need hope more than ever, don't we? And life can so often be unexpected, but hope changes everything. My husband Martin and I, we've got four sons, and when they were young, we were on a journey that I'll never forget. We'd been to visit my dad for the day in Kent, and evening was coming, and so we said goodbye and we got the boys in their pajamas and we put them in the car, belted them in, put their blankets on them and we made the two hour journey back to Oxford where we were living at the time. And we hit the motorway and Jack, who is our eldest, who was age seven at the time, he said, oh, I need a wee. Um, so Martin and I sort of looked at each other to say, I thought you'd done the last minute wheeze. And um, Martin was driving. So I took an empty water bottle and I leant over into the back and I carefully and responsibly helped Jack wee into this um, water bottle and then strapped him back in again. Literally, I don't know, 60 seconds later, Harry, age six, said, oh, I actually, I'm really desperate for a wee. So I did the same thing with him. And then sure enough, just minutes later, Jesse, age four, said, I need a wee too. So this was an empty bottle and it was now, it was now pretty full and a fine specimen, I would say, of our son's health. Um, and I didn't want it falling on the floor, leaking out. So I just thought I need to keep that upright. So I put it in the cup holder in the car. And then gradually the boys went off to sleep and Martin and I enjoyed that rare sort of moment of uninterrupted conversation. And we were just chatting away and debriefing about the day. And then I went to grab what I thought was my water bottle and I took a massive swig and then spat it out across the dashboard. And then I grabbed for my water bottle, my actual water bottle, and I started swigging that, winding down the window, spitting it out, swigging it and spitting it out. And then I looked over at Martin who was driving, just to sort of ask him to pull over because I felt like I'm gonna throw up here. And as I looked over at him, he was just laughing his head off. And I cannot describe to you what that was like. That experience was quite traumatic. It was like this, burning taste in my mouth and it just took ages to get rid of. It was horrendous and it was completely unexpected. I was hoping for something refreshing but what I got was completely rancid and um, I don't want to overstate it but sometimes I feel like life can be a little bit like that. Sometimes the unexpected can leave a bad taste in your mouth. And so far, 2020 has been a year marked with unexpected things. We had plans, didn't we? Expectations around finances and work and exams, university places, relationships, weddings, um, family celebrations, or even expectations around what church would look like, what it means to meet together. And many of us have carried a lot of disappointment really this year um, through so many unexpected things but actually I've never met anyone who said 
life has worked out just as I expected. And there's a family in the New Testament um, whose story speaks about a lot of things, but as I've been reading it recently, it's been speaking to me about their experiences of unexpected things, and in the midst of that, finding a hope that changes everything. And we can read about it in John 11. And the family are two sisters, Mary, Martha, and a brother, Lazarus. Now this family, they were close friends of Jesus. Um, they were sort of Jesus's go-to family whenever he was in Bethany. So they were really close. But Lazarus is sick, he's really unwell. And uh, the sisters, they send a message to, to Jesus. He was like 20 miles away. They send a message to him. They said, the one you love is sick. And this was their 999 call. This is their like emergency, come quickly call to Jesus. But we read in the story that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And initially it seems like he didn't even mention it to his disciples. Um, he made no preparations to go. He didn't even send a message back. It was just a bit like, I'm on my way. There was sort of nothing. And, you know, we can read in the Bible that Jesus healed towns of people that he seemingly didn't have a particularly special, close relationship with. And yet there was this family. You know, Lazarus was his friend. Mary, Martha, they were his friends. And yet he didn't seem to do anything. He didn't seem to respond. Why didn't he go? And if he was you know, thinking I'm 20 miles away, I'm never gonna make it in time. Why didn't he work remotely? You know, like loads of us over these last few months, we've had a massive shift and so many of us have been working remotely. Um, but Jesus has done that. He did that before in Luke 7 when he healed the centurion's servant long distance. Why didn't he do that if he didn't think he was gonna get there in time? Martha, in her message, she didn't explicitly ask Jesus to come, but she expected him to come. And I can picture Mary and Martha pacing, waiting, anxiously, desperate for Jesus to turn up. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there's stuff going on in your life at the moment and you feel like you're just in this period of waiting right now. Uh, my husband Martin, he's a vicar in the Church of England, and uh, after he had studied at Theological College, uh, he needed to get a curacy, so he's like, on-the-job training for the next part of his training. And um, everybody else at college had got their curacy lined up, apart from us, we were the only ones. And we were getting pretty desperate, actually, pretty anxious. We were getting a bit grouchy with each other, quite stressed. It was like, we're looking at stuff, doesn't seem to be the right thing. We're praying, doesn't, God doesn't seem to be doing anything or answering our prayers. And then some friends of ours, Joel and Ali Martin, came to, um, came to visit us one day. And we were just telling them how we were feeling. And they kindly prayed for us. And uh, Joel said, after we finished praying, he said, oh, I feel like I had a picture in my mind's eye for you. I feel like the Lord wanted to speak to you. So we were listening attentively and he said, um, I have a picture of like an old fashioned set of weighing scales with three weights. And I feel like the Lord is wanting to say to you, wait, wait, wait. And I just said, thanks Joel. Um, it's not exactly that helpful. What we need is letters and numbers. Uh, we need a postcode. That's what we'd really like. 
could you perhaps listen to the Lord again? Um, the truth is, it's hard to wait. Um, I recently read of this uh, uh, co-founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotels, Hortz Schultz, and he recently did some research around the hotels and their customer service, and uh, when guests were checking in, just their experience. And his research showed him that during busy times, 30 years ago, guests were happy to wait to check in for up to four minutes. Um, but today, before guests started getting a bit angry and a bit agitated, they could only wait now 20 seconds before they would start to complain. You know, the truth is, many of us just don't like waiting for anything. And with Martin's curacy, we kept waiting. We kept looking up, uh, looking for opportunities and uh, praying, and nothing seemed to happen. The thing with the curacy is it affects the whole area of your life. It isn't just a job. Of course, it's a job. It's your finances, but it also affects your whether you move, your housing, um, schools for the children. And I'd say to the Lord, don't you realise, like, Lord, there's children involved here. Um, it's everything, everything wrapped up in, wrapped up together, and. This isn't some kind of, and then God showed up at the 11th hour sort of story. He didn't. He missed it. He was late. And the ordination service that was held at St. Paul's Cathedral, which Martin should have been at, the date for that had come and gone. Because if you don't have a curacy, um, you don't get ordained. And so I just found myself in a place of just saying, Lord, do you know what's happening? Like, do you care? Do you even see what's going on? And I think the story reads like that for Lazarus and his sisters, because Lazarus's condition grew worse and he died. There was no sign of Jesus and he died. And they hadn't expected any of that. And I think it's understandable that Martha and Mary would question whether Jesus cared for them. Lord, do you see? Do you actually care? Why haven't you come? And it's interesting, Martha in Luke 10, when she was preparing lunch for Jesus and a house full of people, and she asked that question of Jesus before, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you find now that you're asking that question to Lord, don't you care? Do you see me? Do you know what's going on in my life? And Mary and Martha, they buried their brother. Then Jesus turns up, but it looks like it's too late. Except in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, God is not slow in keeping his promises. And the truth is, God is never early, but he's also never late. He is always on time. And just because you're waiting, it doesn't mean he's not coming. And with our curacy, see, the Lord did this sort of beautiful miracle, really, and it was in his own timing. And we ended up at this curacy that was an amazing blessing for us and for our children for the following 10 years. It looked like he was late. According to our time frame, my time frame, he was definitely late, but in God's time frame, he was right on time. 
and ironically I can't don't have time to go into sort of sharing all the the details of how he made that happen but certainly seeing it now looking back now we actually have experienced his kindness and his love and his care um, in the details of our lives and finding that curacy in ways that we would never have done had we not had to wait. Um, for us it was unexpected but it anchored our belief um, in who Jesus says he is. And that's what we come to in these next few verses. Think, didn't, things didn't go as the family had expected but then the most unexpected of all happens when Jesus turns up and he makes his way to Bethany and Mary actually goes out to meet him before he even arrives. And she was honest with him. You know, she was open, she was real. She doesn't gloss over the, the pain, the disappointment, the grief. And she says to him in verse 21, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. But it's like she doesn't get fully what he's saying. It's like she understands that he's trying to teach her something. And she's like, yes, Lord. Um, are you teaching me that there's life after death? And then Martha calls Mary and she says, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. And like Martha, Mary comes to Jesus. She's honest, she's raw, she's open with him about how she's feeling, her desperation, her despair, her disappointment. And she says exactly the same thing. Lord, if you'd come, my brother would not have died. Her grief is real. And Jesus, he weeps. He doesn't just relate to her in her grief. He weeps with her. He grieves too. And if you're grieving something today or someone today, know that Jesus grieves with you. He's not some aloof, distant sort of father that just wants to teach you stuff, you know, teach you a few lessons. He's with us. He's alongside us in our pain, in our disappointments, and he's weeping with us. And whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, know this, that God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And we can find comfort in his presence, and we can find hope in him. And hope changes everything. Jesus turned up, but it looks helpless. You know, Lazarus had already died, and he was buried. And what interests me is at this point in the Gospel of John, there'd been six miracles, and we're just about to read miracle number seven. And if numbers are significant in the Bible at all, then we are about to reach this climactic miracle. But the people don't believe there's anything that Jesus can do. You know, after three days, the body begins to break down. This is day four. Um, the Jewish belief at that time was that the soul of a dead person would stay near the body for three days in the hope of returning to it. So day four, this was looking hopeless. You know, Lazarus was not just dead, he was irrevocably dead. It was like all hope was gone. This was not an atmosphere of faith here when Jesus turns up. But the truth is, 
it's not over until God says it's over. And in verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. And then he goes on to say in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That was totally unexpected. Can you imagine the scene? Imagine the sisters, Mary and Martha there, witnessing their dead brother who is coming alive. And what about the crowd, the mourners around? It reads later on, many put their faith in Jesus. Lazarus was dead. You know, the scene looked hopeless, but Jesus came and he raised him to life again. And that's a picture of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for each one of us through his own death on the cross. I accidentally drank my son's wee, which was foul. It was nasty. It was rancid. I really wouldn't recommend it. Full of toxins. But Jesus chose to drink the cup of suffering. And he, he drank, he chose to take all the bad stuff that was ours, the stuff that's in us, um, the stuff that comes out of us. And Jesus went to the cross. He was crucified and he died and he was buried for us in our place. And in his letter to the Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes that we were dead in our sins, but because of his great love for us, because of his mercy, because of his grace, through his death and Jesus' resurrection, we can have hope today. And that was my experience. I didn't grow up going to church, but when I was 15, somebody told me about Jesus. And I prayed and I just said, God, if you're real, if you know me, then show me. And one Monday morning, I was fast asleep, dead to the world. And then I woke up, it was like in an instant, going from fast asleep to instantly awake. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I had a experience of Jesus by his Holy Spirit and I was filled with this incredible love and joy that I'd never experienced before and um, I just felt known by God and even though I prayed God if you're there and you know me show me it was totally unexpected and it changed everything I mean it didn't change my circumstances around me straight away but it changed everything inside, my internal perspective and my perspective on hope, hope for the future, my perspective on life. And the thing is, when we put our faith and our trust in him, whatever our circumstances, we can truly come alive. And it says in the word, you know, we too have been raised with Christ and that is our hope an anchor for the soul talks in the word about we don't grieve and suffer as those who have no hope. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And resurrection hope, it's not just this future hope, because hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And the truth is life rarely happens as we expect it. Um, and maybe for you particularly at this time, you're really feeling that right now. Maybe you feel like there's no hope for you. Maybe in your situation it feels hopeless. It feels like the equivalent of day four, that there's irrevocable change in your situation. But the truth is you can have hope today. 
you can start a relationship with Jesus today. You can encounter him afresh today. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. It says he has a hope and a future for you. How can we have hope? Choose again to put your hope in Jesus, your faith in Jesus today. Believe who he is. Believe who he says he is. Because hope changes everything.